Welcome to Mostly Max and other things. I am the aforementioned Max. I am back again, y'all. Um, I needed a break last week and it was very much what I needed. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back with you. And uh, let's get into it. I have stuff from like last week that I had notes on. So that some of this might be old, but I feel like I need to make mention of it. Um, the first thing is um, how the Law and Order Party, the uh, grand old party, um, shot down um, the January 6th commission. And I was just like, hmm, I wonder why. Probably because a lot of your membership was down with the get down and the threads from the wackadoos outside to the wackadoos inside, real, real short. So I'm certain it's basically them saying, y'all making it too hot. Like, even the dude who's the the minority leader for the, the um, House Democrat, excuse me, I mean, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, the House Republicans, he's directly mixed up in it because he was calling for help and shit. And he'd have to uh, get in front of some microphones and explain to some people what's really good. They can do an ad hoc committee, but this would have been splashier. It would have been cute and and noisy, like, you know, those bullshit-ass Benghazi things that they did with Hillary Clinton, where they had a broad sitting for 11 hours answering inane questions because they don't have nothing else better to do with their time. But anyway, they shut it down. Um, They punted it. Because why would you want to investigate a bunch of ghouls coming to kill y'all, all of y'all. And my congressman, Hakeem Jeffries, voted against it as well. I don't even know why it doesn't matter. He's a cipher. Um, moving on. Um, shouts to Naomi Osaka. She's a queen who set a boundary. And of course, because she's a black woman setting a boundary, everybody got a lot of energy around it. She said, I'm not finna talk to you fucking press goobers because my mental health is not, it's just, no, it, it won't allow for it. So we off that. They're like, cool, we gonna find you. She was like, cool, I got the money. I'm rich. It ain't nothing. I'm like at the top of the list of rich motherfuckers in sports right now. So suck my dick. Here's the money. And they were like, nah, you got to do it. And she's like, nah, I'm not doing it. And they were like, more fines. And then they were like, we'll kick you out of the thing. She was like, you know what? Here's the press that you wanted. I'm leaving. I'm not going to participate because fuck y'all. And everybody went nuts. All the old schoolers were like, back in my day when I was a, a young roach, I did the job despite the, you know, terrible effects on me and my body and my mind. You should just be miserable like I was. Which seems to be a refrain for a lot of people. I just don't know why you'd want the youth to suffer like you suffered. If they don't have to, why should they? It don't make no sense. But, you know, people be saying stuff because they really hate young people. Because <laughs> they hate them and they just like, fuck them. I, I, I was not able to speak up for myself, so you shouldn't be able to do it neither. And that's just stupid. But anyway, she she withdrew from the French Open and everybody went crazy. Interestingly, um, Roger Federer did the same thing. And he was like, yo, health reasons, B, I can't do it. And everybody was like, okay. I wonder what was different. Mm, 
Anyway, Naomi Osaka is a queen. Shout out to her for drawing her boundaries. Fuck all them crackers and others who think that they own athletes because athletes perform a service for them. So they think where um, they own them. They own their bodies, their minds, their thoughts, their everything. And, you know, one of these days, one of these athletes is going to do a Latrell Sprewell and let you know that it's not facts and you're going to do some wild shit and get your shit rocked. Especially now that they're going after all of the athletes who had been very vocal during last year's protests and everything else and have always been vocal. And now it's like that get back time. It, it's, 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 back, it's backlash o'clock and everybody wants to do the thing that they do. And, you know, history and shit. And you know how the story is going to go. But, you know, it, it, one of these athletes is not going to see it for that. You're going to run up on them and they're going to knock you in your shit. And that's what you deserve. I mean, you don't own these people. They literally are out here doing a thing that they like to do. And they get paid well for it. And the idea that they shouldn't be able to say what they need to say because they get to the money for the thing that they do is some bullshit. So, fuck off with that nonsense. Um, also, also, the GOP is really quadrupling, uh, what's the f- five times down on this, uh, fake outrage over critical race theory because the, r- the race that's getting crit- criticized is them, the whites. There's a lot to criticize guys. History is rampant with it all. Like, and God forbid your little white children go to their suburban school off the cul-de-sac and find out how complicit they were. They might get radicalized and be like, you motherfuckers need to change these systems and you can't have that, can you? So so they've gone after, like, you know, the 1619 Project and by extension, um, Nicole Hannah-Jones and... Played her to the laugh at um, UNC because, you know, it was patently, obviously politically motivated. And now they've passed some bullshit laws to protect the illustrious history of whiteness, I guess. And it is just all patent fucking nonsense. Like Texas is passing bullshit laws. Cats froze to death in their houses this past winter. That wasn't that long ago. Because it ain't bootleg fucking not on the national grid ass fucking electrical grid. But we're not going to fix that, no. We're not going to stop privatizing all the shit with your scammer fucking energy companies and shit like that. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is go after trans kids who want to play sports. We're going to go after women who want to have abortions. And we're going to gin up this fake outrage over critical race theory and you know none of these fucks have ever read any of it they all know nothing about nothing they actually don't do anything other than gin up fake grievance for the whites and it's fucking played and it's just gonna keep happening and you know we have the house we have the 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 white house we have the the senate and stugats we're getting stugats we're not getting no laws passed. We're not getting no voter protections. We're not getting no um, police re- police reform. Because what their idea of reform is like telling them rules that's already in place that they're already not paying attention to and being like, we did it. Okay, guys. Um, and also, um, you know, not protecting people who pay taxes in this bitch and don't get nothing for it. 
I try not to think about that shit too much because I'll fucking go crazy because when you think of how cats will say to your face, damn, we could, I wish we could help you, but like, we can't, we just can't do it. Got all the tools, got all the shit, got all the things, and they just be like, nah, people don't like that. All the polls are saying everybody like it, and they're like, nah, can't do it. But that's that's for later. I got I got some thoughts on some things. But also, too, the other thing that's interesting about the GOP not liking, you know, history. <laughs> Real history, not this poop butt shit that they be putting in the fucking textbooks in Texas where they be faking it. Um, it's interesting how they don't want the people to learn how white supremacy moves every single thing in this piece. But shit like this then happens where I read this article in the New York Times about FEMA and how they do not in any any stretch of the imagination help equally everyone who is eligible for it. Case in point, because none of these people do anything about climate change and, you know, the storms and everything else are getting worse. And basically the article outlines all the ways FEMA makes shit worse for people who are in the, in the path of these storms. Like, specifically in this case, they were talking about Louisiana because Louisiana is going to continue to be disproportionately jammed up by these storms as the, you know, the water gets warmer and more powerful storms, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, FEMA basically gives less aid to black property managers as opposed to white property managers. Like, in, like, Two people got their houses jacked up in this storm that happened recently in, in um, Louisiana. Identical problem, tree falling through roof. Um, the black folks got 17, excuse me, the black folks got $7,000 for repairs. And the white dude who had the same problem got $17,000. And basically what happens is, they give less aid to, to to property owners in black neighborhoods. They also have a have a program where they tear down houses. They buy people out and tear down houses that are in unsafe zones for like, you know, catastrophes and shit. They do that more frequently in black neighborhoods and they hollow them out. And more often than not, the money that they actually give the people, you know, to tear their fucking house down doesn't really buy them shit. And just across the board, they provide less to black homeowners and people who need help just in general, in every interaction. Even like when it's time to do an inspection to, to check the damage, five times out of 10, you're not even going to get them to come out to do the inspection and they'll just deny your claim. No reason. Like they'll do it 3% of the time for white folks. And then like for black folks, it's like 11%. But no, the problem is learning critical race theory and how every single thing, literally, there's nothing that you can look into history or present day that doesn't show you the line of demarcation in terms of how things work for white folks and how things work for black folks and brown folks and Asian folks and everybody else. So, like, I wouldn't want my kids to know that either because, you know, if they opened a book instead of whatever fucking bullshit like oh the slaves came here for better business opportunities (laughs) like they weren't stolen like there wasn't a whole theft and exploitation for many 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 years anywho sir fuck them people i hate everything (laughs) 
I got to tell you, I am in the worst mood because this it is 477 degrees outside all the time. And I keep going outside and dehydrating like I come back in the house a desiccated headachey husk and I'm just over it. Like, I think I need to just keep fucking, um, what's that shit called? Um, Pedialyte on me at all times or something. Cause this is, I, I just, it's not it at all. It's the devil's nutsack hot. This heat got a break or I'm going to fucking go nuts. Any hooser <laughs> this week on the podcast. Um, I'm going to share a discussion that I had with one of my favorite musicians, Otis Brown III. He is a very talented artist. He's a drummer. And he tells a little bit about, you know, his origin story and how he got into the game and everything. And um, he has this amazing album. It's available on all the things. It's called The Very Thought of You. And you should absolutely check it out. Um, Super, super talented has worked with a lot of your faves like Esperanza Spaulding and Bilal and Robert Glasper. And he's just crazy talented, super cool guy. Very fun interview. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. And it's coming up in two seconds. Today on the podcast, I have a wildly talented drummer who has played with my faves like Robert Glasper and Esperanza Spaulding. He's the creator of one of my absolute favorite Sunday jams, jazz albums called The Thought of You. He's a lover of a good dirty joke and kind of a menace. <laughs> Welcome to Mostly Max and Other Things, Otis Brown the Third. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. So this is, I'm looking, I've been looking forward to this one. So glad to have you here. Thank you. Let's get into it. My very first question is, what do you do and why do you do it? Um, Well, as you mentioned, I'm a musician, a drummer specifically. um, And I guess an artist in general. Uh, So I, uh, I do it because I love it. And um, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, pre panorama times, it paid the bills. Um, So yeah, I I, I grew up in a household of two music educators that went on to be principals, but um, music was in some kind of way gonna be a big part of my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So it just worked out that uh, I kind of took this path and, you know, I was planning on teaching or whatever it was going to be. It was going to be a music and it just worked out that I do this now. Awesome. Um, and how did you get started um, in the industry? Um, well, in the industry, it's, it's such a roundabout story, but uh, I I went to school for music education. I went to HBCU, Del- shout out Delaware State. I knew it was, and, it was a matter uh, of time. Yeah, you know, it was not, a matter of time. did not know. speak to an HBCU grad. <laughs> Shout out to HBCU grads. It's coming. (laughs) Um, But you know, crazy enough, you know, a lot of those programs are really geared towards. They're not really performance programs. They don't really get you together to go out in the world to perform. So I was a music education major, um, and I was gonna just teach. You know, that's what my parents did. I was just gonna teach, and 
Um, my last year, my last two years there, d- the legendary trumpet player, Donald Byrd, uh, rest in peace and the Blackbirds and Blue Note Records or whatever, he became artist in residence there. Oh, wow. And fortunately for me, being that it was a music education program, there weren't many musicians serious about trying to play. Right. You know? So there was like a handful of us and we would spend a lot of time with him. And at the time, I, I don't even, when, I, when it first happened, I don't even think I realized the magnitude of who he was and the legendary educator, artist, you know, whatever, um, any of that. But I was just happy. I knew who he was, but not like that. Um, but he would have us in his office like starting at like 11 o'clock we would be in his office till three in the morning just listening oh, wow. to bootlegs and hearing stories and him uh, teaching us how to play blueses and all all of this stuff so oh, wow what a gift um, that was oh my gosh it, like it no career without that for me like no career in music if not for donald bird um and you know we started playing gigs with him me and these you know four or five other kind of serious musicians and then it got time for me to finish school and he asked me what i was going to do and i was like i don't know just you know i'm just going to teach like my parents did i don't know what else can i do <laughs> you know he was like well you should go to new york and um you know try and try and do this and i was just like how do you even do that how do you become a, a working musician you know right, so right. um he had connections at the new school because he got taught there and then I went there for graduate school and um, got there the day, the same day, like uh, the new school is funny because you have this one day where all the new students, they just pick your name off a list and like, okay, this guy on drums, this guy on piano, this guy on bass, and you guys go up, figure something out, play two songs in front of the whole student body. Like they, the first day you're there. And I, <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, exactly. So I got there the same day as like Robert Glasper, Bilal. What? Um, uh these two good friends of mine marcus and ej strickland um it was just so many people there that day and we kind of became clicks that day i love that Uh, yeah and then we you know went through school together we all started working and doing all you know working with each other of course playing for tips and 20 dollar gigs robert used to carry this keyboard around with no case on this little cart like (laughs) taking it on the subway with like no case (laughs) he would put it in the back seat of my car it was so beat up and janky uh you know playing gigs for tips and 20 dollars and 30 dollars and we just wanted to play so we kind of created our own scene and then um you know, here and there started getting hired by people. And it was like a win for all of us. Like, oh man, you're playing, I saw you playing with so-and-so, you're playing with this guy. And it just kind of built from there. I love that. All this time Bilal was working, you know, Bilal had gotten signed and was working on First Born Second, that first record. Um, So we were like all- Legendary material. Legendary record that I play constantly still. (laughs) But, um, you know, we would go, it's crazy. We would go to the studio sessions for those and hang out like, it was crazy. It was just a crazy time. So when I got to New York, it kind of, it was so fertile, you know, me, Bilal and Robert, um, I was playing with this girl named Tiambe at the time who Robert played with too. And we, me, those three, we would drive down to the uh, Black Lily in Philly with the mm-hmm. Roots and the Jazzy Fat Nasty. Ah, those were you know. the days. Yeah, exactly. Man. So we were, we were just making the rounds, you know the what I mean? Music and, was so plentiful. Oh, Everything whew. was good, man. It was crazy. Everywhere you went, it was like amazing black music everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Brooklyn, that's the thing, like, like you could just run into shit. Like, yep. you know, like I'd show up at, at like SOBs and it would just be like a raft of people who blew up later. You know exactly. 
John Stevens. You see John Legend before he was John Legend. And, uh-huh. oh, yeah, all, all of that was still, he was going on in the It city. was like the, the sprinkling of the white guys of like Remy Shand and all of exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yep. So, you know, that it kind of, that's a roundabout story, but that's kind of how my career got started. Just like, come, you know, Donald Berg coming to New York and, you know, a lot of being in the right place at the right time. Like I met those dudes and like Robert's one of my best friends, me and Bilal still talk. Like it's, you know, it was, yeah, it seems like it was meant to be looking back on it, but you know, it was just a lot of- How they both ended up on your album. Right, very true. (laughs) (laughs) Funny story, that album, the the core band is like an ensemble we had. Keon Mm -hmm. Harold too, the trumpet player. Mm -hmm. um, We had an ensemble in school that we put together with one of our teachers and we, you know, used to play together like twice a week, just, you know, yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy, like fertile time in school and in on the scene and just, you know, New York and Philly and all the other places we were. What a time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So my third question, what do you hope to achieve? What is like the final form for your career look like? Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, we talked, like you said, like Bilal with Firstborn Second. And I mean, he's one of my favorite artists, period. I've seen him and heard him sing like, you know, more than most. And um, just the level of talent in that dude is amazing. But it's you mentioned- Amazing. It's, it's really beyond what people even know. You know what I mean? Like I remember a friend of mine, like because you know, the other things on this podcast is going off book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing him perform, was it Fort Green Park in Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. And me and my bestie went, we were like, whatever it is, that brother has it. <laughs> right, he got it. And I mean, like in school, we were hearing him sing operas, like on recitals and like, you know, just pull out standards and like have you in tears. And, you know, like it's, he's a, a special, special musician, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But we talked, you talked about his record being like a legendary album. And that's, I guess that's what I would want is to, you know, leave some kind of legacy that, you know, my grandkids might be able to look back and be like, oh, my dad played with this dude. And he, you know, he he's on this record with Robert Glasper and he has these albums out, you know, like like I do for, you know, not saying the level of John Coltrane, but like we do for those people that are that have left, you know, musical. Oh, no, like, that's fine. Go that. go for that level. That's cool. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, but like, yeah, just just to have some kind of you know, and that's artistically my goal, just to be, you know, have, I'm working on another record now that kind of got halted during the pandemic. Of so we, we were just starting to put things together to finish that. But, you know, I think one of the reasons why it took me so long to do the first one and this one is because I kind of don't want, I don't know, I'm not saying people make throwaway records, but I just want each of my statements to be statements that carry some weight. You know, well, that so. first album is it. I'm, well, thank I, you. I absolutely love it. It's thank you so like much. Perfection, like I, you know, some people listen to gospel on Sundays. I listen to jazz. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I was raised on like you know, big band and bop and right. Like, okay, you know, I was everything vocal standards. My mom was on that. So wow. that, so that that kind of crystallized for me as like Sunday morning music for me. Got you. While I'm moving around and or not doing anything mm-hmm. <laughs> or trying to read a book. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, it's kind of high praise when your album gets put into the rotation. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I thank you. I think it's high praise anytime anybody listens to it. So, you know, 
I, I always say like people inviting you into their sonic space is like is no small matter to me, you know. So I try and take it seriously. Well, so. It is a beautiful album. It it really is, and I'm really looking forward to the next one. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I you know we this one is a little heavier, uh, subject matter wise, of heavy, course. Period. <laughs> right. Everything heavy right now. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but we're crafting it in a way that I I think is you know it's going to be a good album. Good. I'm sure it's gonna be fucking amazing. So thank you. I have no. Yeah, idea. but so for my leg, you know, I just want there to be some, you know, some record of me <laughs> being around for years to come. You know. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, that's like, you want to have some kind of impact, right? Like you want mm-hmm. people to. I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm not doing that with this. <laughs> No, whatever. You <laughs> this you therapy for me, but if it helps somebody else, cool. <laughs> right. But you know, like for most things, when you do stuff, you want people to be able to look to that thing you produced and be like, mm-hmm. yo, either it helped me in some way. Um, it's adding to the world in a good way. Cause exactly. God knows there's plenty of garbage. <laughs> yes. Right. She rash. <laughs> so whatever wonderful things that come from it or any kind of responses, that's you know, that who who wouldn't want that kind of right. Like, and it's like, you know, it's a fine, it's a tricky balance as an artist just trying to, you know, balance like, okay, I want to make something that people dig and like, but I also just want to say what I need to say and and hope people accept that for whatever it is. Um, you know, so you kind of have to toe that line. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I just, I'm fortunate enough to have quote unquote a fan base that, you know, kind of likes what I do and who I play with and, quote you know, <laughs> I, that, that I just want, yeah, just want to put out meaningful art. I hear you. I hear you. Because a lot of people just aren't. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. There are plenty of people who are getting to the shmoney and it is not good work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, but it, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's making the cake. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the perfect the perfect thing is to like get to the shmoney and do beautiful work. So that's right. That's if like you can do that, you perfect good. little hand, yeah. you know, hand to hand type shit you want to do. Right. All righty. So, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in your work? Mm. Like interested in doing this? Yeah. Yeah, I w- I mean, it's so different now, you know, than when I like because the, there was that period I talked about in school, there were so many, one, so many opportunities to see your heroes play. You know what I mean? Like when we, when I, when we got to New York, um, I mean, you could go see Joshua Redman play or Michelle and Deggio Cello was playing here. The Roots were playing here. And I mean, like for um, almost no money for $10. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this piano player, me and Robert love Kenny Kirkland, who played with Branford, Marsalis, and legendary piano player who passed. He was playing at this little Italian restaurant up the street for the new school, like with a trio with one of my drumming heroes. And we would just walk by there and see, like, I'm like, dude, I used to watch this guy on the Tonight Show. And, and you know, like and that he's playing in this little hole in the wall. So that's was, what happened with me. Like, that was the beauty of music, like music, the music, like vibe like the environment in new york at that time i remember yeah. going to see feral sanders at like this teeny little spot right and just getting my whole fucking life because i was big like i i still am like completely obsessed with like all that impulse stuff that they put out at the time got you you know with alice coltrane yeah 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 saunders right and all those other cats it was just uh and then just you know he was older at the time and like he was just 
he was still killing it. And we were, yeah. just, we were just down front, just getting our whole fucking lives. Like, yeah, there were so many and that opportunities. was regular. Regular. Like, every day you could go do something and be like, wow, Winton's here just playing, you know, with these with these. Oh, they dudes. just show up somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little different now, you know, but I would, if I had to give advice, I would say, you know, one, you got to do the work, of course. Like, there's plenty of times where I spent, you know, like, we we hung out a lot and played, but we also, like, would be in practice rooms all day if you right. know until we got kicked out of them um so you got to do the work but you also have to find opportunities especially in this music like it's such a a mentor based kind of thing you know what i mean like you have to learn from you know robert and hanging out with herbie or you know i mean that's an extreme you're not going to get to hang with herbie but just you <laughs> have to get try and get next to those people that are doing what you want to do mm -hmm. and pick their brains and see how they play on how they operate on gigs and what being professional looks like and all of that stuff. Um, you know, so do the work, try and get next to and hear as much music as you can. And, um, you know, being a good person doesn't hurt <laughs> either, right. you know, because I always say, <laughs> you know, too. at a certain level, like everybody can play, like everybody's good. Every, they just have different things. But if you're an asshole, nobody wants to, be on the road with you or nobody wants to be in rehearsal with you if you know you always got a funny vibe or you your know rep, your reputation is it, it makes it i know a lot of people that you mm -hmm. know kind of vibed their way out of work like just be being a jerk and you know are unprofessional not showing up for lobby calls on time or you know just a lot of those outside things that people don't think matter really do matter in this where they want to do diva shit but they ain't got that the range not, you don't got the range and even and if that's the thing you know like i had heroes you know um like elvin jones who played with john coltrane forever and he's the, probably the one reason i played drums you know mm -hmm. he um I, if i can meet that dude and he could invite me into his dressing room and not know me and talk to me like this dude is on legendary like legit legendary records and if he could be a certain way then who are you to not, you know, to have an attitude or a funny vibe. Or, yeah, here. like, you know, I don't care who you are. We exactly. out here trying to be a diva. Exactly. So nobody want to so. be bothered with that shit. No, <laughs> when you get to a certain point, everybody can play. It's just little different, minute differences between everybody. So those outside things do matter more than people, real, more than I realized growing up, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, those would be my, my advice, I guess. Good advice. <laughs> <laughs> So for my fifth question, what was the worst job you've ever had? Ooh, damn. damn, that's a tough one. Okay, so I worked security one time. I was in college. Oh, I geez. worked like, like, like you know, rent a cop kind of security. Oh, like, it was this place that outsourced. You know, you had to wear this little jacket had like a little shield on it, and like doing um, <laughs> toy cop stuff. Oh, uh, it was literally toy cop. So I had two terrible assignments one time because they were called like, "Okay, can you be here?" So one time, and I don't do like scary movies and stuff like that, but this <laughs> one time I had to stay in New Jersey, like at this rock quarry where they mine, like up in the mountains, kind of, and like every. 30 or 40 minutes you had to walk around this rock quarry and like hit the you had to hit these little buttons to show that you checked in and you oh get your God. patrol around the place and it was so scary like i was like yo i'm gonna die up here like there's nobody <laughs> up here super dark walking through the hood through the hills yeah it was crazy you always hear stuff um so yeah that didn't last long i did that for a little while yours is like the second or third security guard story that i've heard that was 
mentioned amongst the worst of the That's job. funny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was like one summer or something or what, you know, I might have, I had taken a semester off one time from undergrad and then, I, yeah, I think I worked there. That was, that was probably the worst. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> One okay. good assignment I did, so I will say one good assignment I did have was, um, I'm trying to remember what the publishing company was, but I had to work overnight at this publishing company in um, like New York State, like Random House, one of those publishers. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm in college, so books are expensive. Hell yeah. Um, so they had a bin of things, like if the book was damaged or torn, they would put it in this bin to be torn up and recycled. Hmm. So I would go through these bins and find like all of these books while I was sitting there working it. I, I found like a, a jazz history textbook I needed it there. I would just be searching for these books like I was at the library. And you know, they, they were like, happened. you can read one out of there. Yeah, it was kind of, that was, that was on the other side of the bad part of security. So, <laughs> so that was going to be the next question. What was the best job you ever had? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be the best. I mean, I've, I mean, it had to, it has to be doing this. You know, I've had a lot of amazing experiences doing what I do. Um, one of the best parts of my career was, I would say, like the best periods in my career was like um, kind of being with Esperanza kind of from the ground up, you know, to like she won Best New Artist Grammy. about a special artist right there. Yeah, but- like just, you know, being involved in that and seeing the whole progression to where she is now like she's like my sister like you know we talk often now but um it wasn't always fun because you know I used to butt heads with her management and you know because I was a little more established than the art the other musicians in the band at the time so I was just like oh no I can't get paid this because do you know who I am (laughs) right not that but like I've been out here for a little bit like I get what y'all are trying to do but you know, but no, it was that that was some of the best times in the um some heavy touring, but I have so much fun in that period being with her. Like she's amazing and the other yeah. guys in the band were incredible. So it was just we had so much fun. I remember um, that best artist win because like the Bieber kids were very upset. They were very mad. <laughs> they were very, very upset. They had a lot of feelings. I was like, <laughs> she's better than him. Right. They were red, like out of left field. They were like just so just sitting in people's mentions, yeah. going off. I was it like, was crazy. isn't it past your bedtime? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was in Chicago in a hotel room on some other gig. I was watching. I didn't go to the Grammys that year, and I was watching it, and I just went crazy. Like, yeah. And what's that like, going to the Grammys? That's an experience. It's You know, the real Grammys to me is the pre-show. Mm. You know, so the, the the second part, the part you see on TV, that's really the, like a concert. You know what I'm saying? Like that's they give out what maybe eight awards on that telecast, or it seems like they gave out a little more this year because of the pandemic. Right. But it's mostly geared around the performances. The pre-show is like where it's super relaxed. You know, everybody. You know, and it's like it's not really assigned seating. So you kind of just get in there and sit wherever. So I remember the last time I went, like I was right behind Melanie Fiona. CeeLo was like, they were up for something that year. And, you know, every, but everybody knows that if you're in that room, you're an artist. You know what I mean? Like, it's like the producers and the writers and they give all of those awards then. So it's really like this community feeling, you mm. know, of the music world. So that part of the Grammys is probably my favorite part. It's just like, like I... I would go just for the pre-show, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just to just to hang out and be around all these people that are just like 
Chick Corea got rest in peace, you know, mm -hmm. was hanging out and Herbie's over here and, it, you know, it's super loose and funny and everybody's joking and, right. you know, yeah. The only thing, it doesn't have alcohol because if it did, I think it would be oh. even crazier. <laughs> like yeah. the or whatever, Golden like Globes the, or whatever. The, the Golden Globes, right? Yeah. Everybody's, yeah. But that, <laughs> the vibe in there is like that, you know what I mean? Like it's, okay. it's hilarious. So that part, you know, they're starting to make it more of a show now and air it like online. Um, you know, that's the real Grammys to me. And then the concert is, is cool. You know, so just a big concert. It's fun right. to see if you're in the celebrities and all of that stuff. And okay. then the after parties are really dope. Okay. Yeah, the after parties are really dope. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be messy and be like, what's the most scandalous shit you've seen at the after party? But Oh, see, well, I mean, I really... No, I, I ain't seen nothing really scandalous at after parties. Like there's So there's two main, like big ones. I went to, I always went to the Universal one because I was on Blue Note. Okay. And um, that one was dope because it would be like, you know, everybody from Blue Note artists to, you know, Katy Perry or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And then the Roots always have like a jam session too, like the night before. And then Robert has been doing something the last few years too. So I haven't seen anything scandalous though. Boo. Yeah, no, I'm corny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm corny. Well, that was my last question. You made oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> what was the new one? What was the new question? The new one was, what is the best job you've ever had? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Which made sense. Like, I hadn't been asking that question. I, I wouldn't leave off. This was the suckiest job you ever had. End of the show. Let's get out of here. Right. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. <laughs> Sorry to bring up old traumas. Let's get out. <laughs> Where can the people find you and what are you working on? Okay. Uh, well, my socials are all kind of the same. OB3, because I'm Otis Brown III. So OB, the number three, is me mm -hmm. um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff. Um, I have a website. Um, my music is wherever, you know, you listen to music. Um, Tidal, iTunes, all of the, Spotify, all of that stuff. Um and yeah, I'm working on this new record. I, I, oh, I, you know, I, there's a bunch of records that I'm on too that, and some other stuff I'll be doing. Yeah, I still work with a singer named Somi a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, I'm trying to get this record done, like come out of the pandemic with this record nearly finished um, and out shortly after that. So um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm around. Hit me up. I'm, I'm super friendly. <laughs> He's super, super nice people. He's super nice. Um, and also makes amazing music. So that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Double awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to that new album. No pressure. But I'm no, of course. <laughs> You'll be one of the first. We, we got, I'll come back. We got to do another podcast when it's done. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Any hooser, thank you so much for carving out some of your booked and busy time for me. <laughs> hey, it's my pleasure. This was this was awesome. Thank you. I'm glad. Um, and come back soon. And that was my conversation with the uber talented Otis Brown the third. And I am super looking forward to that new album when it drops. And you guys should definitely get into it. Definitely get into the album I mentioned at the top and during the thing here. Um, super fun, cool dude, super talented, so much fun. And now let's get in to these key takeaways. Key takeaway number one is that Joe Manchin is proof that voting blue no matter who is, you know, sketchy as fuck. Like, <laughs> it's not enough, is it? 
because there's plenty of Democrats who like white supremacy, too. And Joe is a representative of that fact. And so is that girl from Arizona, Christian Cinema, who she said out of her face that she models herself kind of on uh, John McCain. So do with that what you will. Um, yeah, you know, he's holding up the works, looking for some fake fucking um, cooperation with these these Republican cats. They're not going to do it. It's just an excuse to leave shit the way it is. And not for nothing. The, the Democrats get to the monies as well off of being the underdog. They literally fundraise off of being the underdog. How many begging ass fucking emails have you gotten where they're like, huh, have you seen what blah, blah, blah said? Pick a dickhead. And it's like, we need five, 10, 15, $20 to keep the fight going. Bitch, you have all the shit. Why y'all still fighting? What you fighting over? You know what the fuck it is. If you wanted to, you could pull up on man's dumb and be like, bitch, we're going to make it hard for you. We're going to make sure you get primaried. The fuck. We're going to make it rain money on your competitor. We are going to make sure. Do the shit that the Republicans do. Do what we say or we crushing you. Finish. None of this mamby-pamby, mealy-mife bullshit. Oh, no. We have all the things and we can't do nothing about nothing. We need to make sure that we bring the GOP in on everything we do, knowing full well that you are dealing with people who do not work with good faith in anything. Lying is the order of the day, and they have been hijacked, hoodwinked, led astray, run amok, happily, by the way, by a bunch of wingdings. Ain't nothing real about none of this stuff. So, like, they get into the money, too. They getting their money from the same sources as the GOP. They get in their laws written by the same motherfuckers and they get to play underdog like, oh, they won't play with us. They took their ball and went home and now you can't do anything. I mean, you got Senate, Congress, White House, all the shit you said you needed to do and get so you could get shit done. And then you get in and do the thing that you always do after we fucking, you know, all, you know, decide what kind of knife moon we want when we go into the, the polling place, like, do we want to get, like, the big shanking, or do we want, like, are we trying to avoid organ damage? Do we just want a scar? That's literally what we do every time we go vote. I still do it, because I want to reserve the right to complain and pressure these hoes, but at the same time, it's like, I get why people be like, this shit is pointless. Look at this fucking bullshit. Because the fucking, the fucking, it feels like the shit is stacked. It looks like the shit is stacked because the shit is stacked. But like, it's just wild to me. So that's my key takeaway. All that, uh, you know, everybody, you got to rep for everybody. Like, you can't root for everybody. Like, I don't root for everybody black. Not everybody black need to be rooted for. Like, especially if they're doing harm. Which leads me to my second <laughs> key takeaway madam vice president honey mama got up in front of some people this week and showed us why she is where she is which i always knew which is why she was not on my list she wasn't first second 23rd 56th on my list of candidates that i would have wanted to be president or anything at all because you know mama knows she 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 her her playbook is pretty much the same you know like you know she's not scared to get blood on her hands so like that's why she's there she's she's good 
She's not going to do no pushing back. She's not going to really try to change nothing. Anyway, baby got up in front of some folks as the child of immigrants in motherfucking Guatemala and told these desperate people that are desperate because of U.S. motherfucking policies that if you think about coming up here to look for asylum to get out of your shit situation that we created for you, uh, don't do it. Don't come. Don't come up here to do nothing. Okay? Like, we will catch you. We will impound you. We will put your ass back on a plane and send you the fuck back. Don't come. The optics be of a a woman. I mean, let's be real. Her parents had privilege that a lot of immigrants don't have. Like, my parents didn't have privilege when they came here either. But they did what they had to do or whatever. And I'm here and I'm doing what I have to do as well. But, like, her people came here, like, you know, with the cheat code kind of. And just came in here. They worked hard and did what they had to do and, and, and raised folks who can get it popping. But, like, you just... it Don't curl over, baby. It's... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Like, you want to root for everything and, you know, they get we get hype over, like, symbolism and shit like that. And then they rock you to sleep because the symbol is in there. The kind of thing that happened with Obama. And everybody's like, you can't talk shit about them. They're exceptional. Exceptionally good at keeping shit the way that it is. That's why they're there. Like, somebody who's really coming in there to shake the table ain't even getting no play. That's why we didn't get a Julian Castro. That's why we didn't get an Elizabeth Warren. They got plans. They know how to fix the shit. Niggas don't want shit fixed. They want shit broken because you can get money off of broken. You could build cottage industries off of broken. All those little holes that you could plug, but you ain't going to plug. You know, you get to the money. You get all these like nonprofits that come out of all of these things that should be covered and can be covered, but aren't because money. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's cute. I like it. You know, sister Greek, black, you know, you know, college, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the end game of it is, is everybody is very, very committed to a lot of nothing. Like old man Joe was like, I will consider, did he say? Yeah. He said he'd consider, um, you know, canceling some student loan debt. Now it's like, now I'm not doing that shit. Then it's like, all right, then, um, what about some extensions on all this stuff that we need extensions on behind, you know, COVID still popping? Because it is still popping. I don't know who got to the rest of you motherfuckers because I was outside today and bitches was just bopping around with mouth fucking the air and shit. And they were just la-di-da about the shit. And I was like, my guy, where is my fucking um, mask so I can sweat under it? Because it ain't over it ain't over <laughs> anyway he's like nope not extending nothing everything the fucking national moratorium on evictions is ending at the end of this month and they're like ain't no talk about doing nothing about that you know like because because y'all say go back to work because y'all say shit is open it don't mean that all the problems that existed prior and during the pandemic which is still going on are just suddenly going away because you like you don't have to sit six feet away. You can sit three and breathe on each other that way and hope for the best and get your shot, which people are not doing, B. Like, people are lying, and they're going to lie to kick it, and we've been through that already. But, yeah, there's a lot of people who are perfectly fine with things being status quo, including people that you elect. And 
you feel hoodwinked, you feel led astray, you feel like you've been run amok, and it's like, like, two bitches from small-ass fucking states that don't fucking really rate, no shade, I'm sorry, to people who live in those states, but this is what happens all the time. The fucking, the fucking finger on the goddamn scale happens to these teeny-ass fucking states that don't produce shit and don't fucking do shit, like, I'm stuck. We all stuck because two senators are playing fucking ball-headed games. I mean, who could root for that? And who could root for a person who looks like me and, and knows what I know, saying some shit to some desperate people and not being able to articulate a good reason why shit is the way it is? I mean, I can't root for that. I mean, you know, it's cute. I'll, I'll smile at the pictures and shit, but I'm always going to remember that you are where you are because you not going to do shit. <laughs> and that's that on that. And it is depressing. <laughs> on an upbeat ending for the for the uh, pod, I am going on a staycation next week and I can't wait. My anniversary married of marriage to the husband is next week. We 15 years in the game. Um, and we're going to take our butts on a nice little staycation at a hotel and I'm looking forward to it. So I haven't decided what's going to happen next week. So it might be a surprise. I don't really know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, any hooser, continue wearing your mask because everybody's dirty. Um, keep washing your hands, keep your sanitizer on decky and spray every surface with Lysol because it looks like you can get Lysol now because all of a sudden I went from like nothing to like a trough so you know keep your stacks up high on that Lysol and them wipes because everybody's dirty and I do intend to spray the living fuck out of my hotel room as soon as I walk in every surface until it is soaked because I'm not playing these games this shit is still popping. It is still real. Bitches are still getting sick. Y'all can keep all this false security shit. And also, also, keep in mind that this shit that we're doing right now with these, the this is the new flu shot, friends. We're going to have to re-up on this shit every fucking year. So get your arms ready and get ready to get slumped again because that's what's going to be popping, popping going forward because we're never going to be free of this shit because basic fucking common decency is absent and unaccounted for i was supposed to end this shit upbeat i failed shit sucks and mercury's in in fucking microfiche and i'm tired any hooser guys um all the best to everything um shout out to summer not shout out to this devil's nutsack ass weather and take care of yourselves take care of each other and i may or may not talk to you next week